We're going to pick up in Acts chapter 14. I want to maybe bring you up to speed where we'll be in Acts chapter 14. One of the things we like to do, because we love the Bible and we believe that God speaks through it, um, we like to, to carve out a chunk of it and really, really dive into it consistently. And so there's some times where we'll jump around um, and see a theme that emerges from different parts in Scripture. But for the most part, we want to really dig into a place in Scripture like a book and, and let it guide our thoughts, let it guide what we talk about, let it guide our sense of community so that ultimately, you know, the next week we're not, oh yeah, by the way, this is what we're talking about because this is what, you know, I had a dream about. Instead, it's more like, hey, this is what God's Word lays out for us and we want to consistently dig into that. And what we've been seeing in the book of Acts, literally the actions of the apostles, is what the gospel looks like when it's in action. So if you were to look at the table of contents in your Bible, the first four books of the New Testament, you might know them. If you don't, you're, you're in good place. This is, this is a good place to learn. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are known as the Gospels. And they're four different eyewitness accounts of Jesus, His life, and, and what He did, what He taught, what He accomplished. And four guys who followed Him and walked in His footsteps and, and lived with Him and saw Him made sure they told the good news of who he was, and they wanted to tell his story, and so they wrote the Gospels. But immediately after the good news of Jesus, that is the Gospels of Jesus, is what we have here, the Acts, which is better to think of as the Gospel in action. So in the coming weeks, we're going really, to be preaching through some of our core values, some of the things that really gives us a, a sense of identity as Connection Church. Well, who are we? What is it God that's called us to do um, what is that? What does that look like? And where does that come from? Where in the Bible do we even think we can believe that? And, and the first and foremost, the thing you'll hear us say over and over and over again is the gospel, the good news, the gospel of Jesus. It's, we are centered around it. It is the thing that we sing about. It's, it's the root of every song we sing. Ultimately, it is the thing that we teach. Hopefully, it's the thing that transforms. Um, I don't want to give you a pep talk here because that will wear off maybe, I don't know, Monday morning. Even on a good sermon, right? Maybe, maybe you'll feel good till Tuesday, but it will wear off. However, if the Holy Spirit empowers the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, and that is what we celebrate here, that's what we think about, that's what we commemorate, then we'll be changed forever and ever and ever. And isn't that better than just a good, entertaining pep talk that I might conjure up for you to last the next 24 hours, right? The gospel, it's what we believe in. It's what we'll talk about. It's what we'll apply, and we'll see how... I don't know about you, but I need renewal. I need every day that I wake up, I need, I need like a new, set, a new set of tires, man. I need new energy. I need a new outlook on life. And we believe that the gospel gives us a sense of renewal each moment that we look upon Jesus and see what he's done for us. That sense of new life comes rushing back to us. And so as a small group, even this week, that's the thing we'll be talking about. Or what are the ways that the gospel is evident and and changes us, and what are the ways in which the gospel applies to our lives, and where, where are the ways in which the gospel is moving? Because this book, if it is the gospel in action, that is the book of Acts, if it's the gospel in action, the acts of the gospel being lived out, then there's some really cool stories that kind of teach us what the gospel looks like. First and foremost, we, we read last week a sermon by one of the first apostles in which he expounded upon the gospel. He said, look, this is the gospel. Jesus Christ and what he did isn't just a neat story because he's an important and I would say at least in this point, an impactful historical figure, but it's important because it, it means something. There's good news in it. Jesus lived and he taught something and, and he accomplished something and he was God 
And he had the power and authority of God, not only just to heal what was broken as he healed people and performed miracles, but he had the power and authority of God to make broken people like you and me righteous before God. And that's good news. It's incredibly good news. And those are the sermons that we first see recorded in the book of Acts. But we also see a movement that begins as a result of the gospel. So this is what it looks like when the gospel is spoken and preached. But on the other hand, we see stories of what it looks like when the gospel is heard and when the gospel changes our hearts and changes our outlook on the world. And we say, what is the meaning of life? We can say, well, what Jesus did. That's, that, that's what ultimately gives meaning and gives life to all things. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, hey, by the way, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And so here we have one more account of the way in which the gospel goes out, the way in which the gospel is heard, and the way in which the gospel starts a movement, a movement that even goes on today that we celebrate today when we get together. So beginning in verse 1 of Acts chapter 14, as always, um, forgive me for if, I'm, if I mispronounce some awesome words, um, I just, just, just assume. I heard one biblical scholar, he said if you just add the word "izzle" to any of those complicated words, uh, it, it's easier. And so uh, we have skipped over a ton in the course of digging through the book of Acts, and sometimes we've, we've probably spent more time than we should have on a particular verse or idea, but then there's some times in which we've skipped all the way through it. And so I'm hoping that you're reading alongside what we're doing. I hope that you, you may lay out even the course of a month. There's about enough chapters for you to read through um, the entire month, and I hope you're reading alongside with us um, because we've missed a ton of stuff. I would never pretend that what I say on a given Sunday is an exhaustive account of what we're seeing here in the movement of the gospel. And I would also add that if there's ever any questions that come up and you think, well, where'd that come from? I want to let you know, I keep kind of an extensive footnote uh, list for the things that I share with you on a Sunday, but I, because of time, I don't want to bore you with that. I also probably don't think you're impressed by some book I read. Um, but I, I want you to know if there's ever any questions, like where did that come from? Or I want to know more about that. And please tell me, email me. I would love to talk to you about that and share with you um, the ways in which I've come to some of the conclusions I have. I don't have any original thoughts. That's why. Here we are reading in verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into a Jewish synagogue and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Jews being the religious people, Greeks maybe more pagan. It says, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe to cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the... Got it? Are we following along? What are they saying everywhere they go? The gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and he began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes. 
because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of, of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Saul heard of it, they tore their garments and they rushed out into the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are but men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, He allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet He did not leave Himself without a witness. For He did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And even with these words, they were scarcely restrained, excuse me, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and they dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and he entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer, with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door to faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. So get the picture of a movement that's taking place. That as the good news, as you heard it spoken here, as the gospel, as it was also referred to here, begins to spread, as it begins to take root in our own hearts, it begins to take root in the hearts of these people, it begins to be something that's too good to keep a secret. And so then these people, overwhelmed with this good news, begin to share it every opportunity they get. So much so that they were sent out by a church in Antioch this selfless church, Antioch, took their best people. They took their best teacher, their best encourager, and instead of hoarding them for themselves, they said, man, we need to send them out so that the gospel and the kingdom would grow. And so they sent them out. And we talked about this the last few weeks, that we also have that same feeling. We, we want to hold very loosely to what we have. I love you, and I'm, I'm a selfish person, and I, I want for you to be my friend, and I want you to only hang out with me. But that's disobedient, and that's selfish. Instead, the gospel is meant to be something that as it shapes our lives, it's something that we hold on to more tightly than one another. So that one day, I mean, who knows, one year, two years, three years from now, we're going to say this thing that God is doing has grown so big and it's become so amazing that we want to do this again. And we're going to send maybe some of you, maybe some people who aren't here yet, and they'll be the best speakers, they'll be the most encouraging people, or they'll be the most important people, the most valuable people we have, and instead of hoarding them for ourselves, we'll say, you know what you need to do? You need to go and plant a church. 
You need to go and take the gospel somewhere else. Not because we dislike or not love one another, but instead because we love Jesus and his good news better. That's a radical sense of value. Right? Why would you throw off your comfort blanket? And the reason I think we see in in chapter 14 Because as they sent them out, as the Spirit of God led them out into places they had never been, the Spirit of God accompanied them, and amazing things happened as a result. And these people got to watch God do amazing things. The gospel goes out. It transformed them, and it transformed everyone with whom they shared it. And that is our prayer. If there's a movement that you and I ought to imitate and emulate, that's it. More than anything, if you caught that, Because they left Antioch in the chapters before, and if you notice at the end of chapter 14, they went back from Antioch. A side note, there were also, if you notice, some of the people who were were persecuting them and wanted to kill them. Did you notice where they came from about halfway through the chapter? They came from Antioch. So they came from Antioch and Iconium, it said. And so get this, that as the gospel goes out, people will chase you even, but it's going to go out into places that we now we, we see it where it needs to go out, with places where we think there's a void, where the love of God needs to penetrate. And that's the movement that you and I want to imitate. We want to emulate this. Do we have the power to perform miracles? Maybe. God can do amazing things and His Spirit can give us amazing powers. But if you know that, then you have it and you're practicing it. If you don't, pray for it that God would give it to you. Um, but if, if you don't, like, like last chapter, we saw that Paul was given the power to look at a guy put him down, and then he became blind, right? I don't have that power. Again, that's to protect you and to protect mostly my brother because he would not have made it, right? That, that's a gift that God hasn't given me, but God's Spirit will empower us to do things that at the end we won't know how to explain. So much, though, that if you were, if you, I, I was, I'm going to do this like Quentin Tarantino. I'm going to read this chapter backwards, right? So at the very end, did you catch what they told the people when they got back to Antioch? They didn't say, hey, Paul did this. Barnabas did this. I did this. It was awesome. I made a dude go blind. Wasn't that awesome? Yeah, high five, right? That was great, bro. You made a dude go blind. They didn't say any of those things. Instead, it says what they did when they got back together. It says that they declared in verse 27 all that God had done with them and how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So we're part of a movement that if God is faithful and God's Spirit begins to do amazing things, at the end of the day, like I feel most, at the end of most Sundays, when I get to hang out with you guys, I go, well, that's amazing. God must have done that because I can't possibly have done that. God is doing something. And when God moves, at the end of the day, we'll celebrate Him. And as we talk about sometimes, if you don't like a song like that we sing, maybe, and you're like, oh, I wish they would sing that song, you're welcome to give that request. But ultimately, none of the songs were written about you, right? And that's because of this. It's, they're about Him. We don't sing for one another. We don't perform for one another. We, we want to participate in giving Him the credit and giving Him the glory. So that's the movement. That's the ending. God gets the glory. The gospel goes out. But I think there are also some very practical things that you and I can take from this, and we'll kind of run through them, and hopefully they'll be helpful. Maybe there'll be some practical ways that you and I can take this movement and begin to apply it to our own lives and take this movement in history and begin to, I believe, see it in our city. So the, one of the very first things it says that they, they go and they enter together into a Jewish synagogue, so they, they gathered people together. This is a biblical thing over and over and over again. God gathers people together. A crowd is not a bad thing unless it's like the crowd that keeps people who want to get healed from getting to Jesus. The crowd is meant to be a thing gathered for Jesus' sake. 
crowd gets together and it says that they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So here's, here's just a prayer request that I think I get from here, right? Pray. This is what I pray and I hope you pray for me in this. I want to speak about Jesus in such a way that people are inspired by who He is and want to believe in Him, trust in Him, and place their hope in Him and Him alone. Pray that I do that. Pray. Pray not only that I do that on a weekly basis here, or that whoever gets the opportunity to stand and speak of God's Word here has that ability, but pray also for the people around you that they also are able to speak in such a way. Can you imagine for just a minute someone that you might know who, who thinks that Jesus is a sham, that this story about Jesus, it's like a cult, they're crazy. They really believe that? Jesus did what? You believe that? He, he, was, he was alive? Think of someone you might know who might think that about Jesus. And now imagine, if you will, speak, use those, just use those words. Imagine, if you will, speaking to that person in such a way that they would believe they would believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And that the hope that Jesus offers for you and for me would be the hope that they begin to experience. Pray for me. Pray that I do this. Pray that every opportunity I open my mouth, people love Jesus more. Every time I get a chance to speak to you, you don't walk away thinking of anything other than how great and mighty Jesus is. And pray that I, I keep my eye on the ball that that begins to happen but also pray for the people around you. And if you're brave enough, if you are brave enough, pray that God would help you to speak in such a way to the people around you that they would believe in this Jesus. I say, be brave enough. Because that means that you might get thrown out of your comfort zone. That may mean you talk to some people that, that don't necessarily agree with you. But if you're brave enough, pray, because what will happen is a movement of the gospel like we see here. So pray. Pray that we have, first and foremost, the ability to speak of God's works. Uh, here's the way, I think, I think I get this. Later on in the Bible, Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 4, he says, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. That is, people that maybe don't believe, which is, this is important because if you're in this room right now and, and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, you wouldn't call yourself a believer in Jesus, that's cool. You are welcome here. Not because we think we're nice people, but because we really think that God says that in Jesus Christ there's a level playing field. There's not like a, a special seat for some people and, and a less special seat for others. Instead, we want to make the most of every op opportunity and we want to let our conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer anyone who inquires of you that is about Jesus. So later on, even we see this is a command for the church that you and I are meant to be people who every opportunity we get, we want to speak with people, not just about how good things are. We don't want to just talk about football, oh, that's, although that's awesome. Don't just talk about your kids and grandkids, although they are awesome, right? But ultimately, we want to speak God's grace to people. And we want to speak in such a way that it's seasoned with salt. Side note here for just a, a note for some of you maybe. Some of you probably are more prone to speak with lots of salt seasoned with a little grace. There's a difference. 
Instead of being a really salty mouth with just a little grace on the end, we're commanded to be people who speak first and foremost grace. A little bit of salt. Just, just a pinch. If you're a cook in the room, you know you can add salt, you can't take it out. Right? That's who we're supposed to be. Also in 1 Peter, Peter says it this way. He says, in your hearts, set apart Jesus Christ as your Lord. That is, He's King. And as such, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and with respect. This is what we're commanded to do. Pray that we do this, that we speak in such a way that people around us, did you catch that? It says both Jews and Greeks. Pray that we speak about Jesus in such a way that people from many different walks of life, many different backgrounds, who knows, by God's grace, maybe even people who speak different languages will one day hear somehow this good news of Jesus. Pray that we speak in such a way that that happens. But keep going. It says that the unbelieving Jews, lest you should think that all, you know, it's all kittens and bunnies, man, it's gets a little ugly. It says, the unbelieving Jews, it says that they stirred up the Gentiles and that it, they poisoned their minds against the brothers. So make no mistake about it. The opportunities that God will give you to love the people around you who maybe don't deserve it, to forgive the people around you that don't deserve it, to show grace to them even though they don't deserve it, those things can be painful. And when we use those opportunities to share the reason why we do it, that is that I only love you because Jesus loves me. I'm only able to show you grace because God showed me an immeasurable amount of grace. That won't always fall on ears that are open and ready to hear it. Some people will think you're crazy. In fact, as I say this, some of you in this room may think I'm crazy for believing it. That's okay. That's okay. Ultimately, this is something that God does Ultimately, this is something that the Spirit moves in us. And sometimes we, we get a chance to share and encourage and people get it. You get a chance to build someone up and they hear it. But sometimes when you try to build someone up, I mean, just try. Like, hey, man, I want to let you know that I love you and God loves you and I'm praying for you. And they're like, whatever. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And it may come from unlikely places. It says that the Jews, these people were Jews. They were religious, Right? These were religious people. It's not that they didn't believe in God. These weren't atheists who were out to destroy religion. These were Jews, it says here, people who believed they knew and understood who God was, and yet they were the ones who, when they heard this good news of Jesus, were like, we've got to shut these people up. It could come from different places. But notice their response. It says, that even though these believing Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, it says, so, as a result of the adversity they received, it says, so, they did what? They ran away? Read verse 3 with me. It says, so, they remained there for a long time. We've got to be talking about something radical. We've got to be talking about something supernatural, if that's possible. Because I don't know about you, but if you go to a place and they don't like you, you leave, right? Quickly. And if you go to a place and you say something and they don't like what you have to hear, my natural inclination, I like the approval of people enough to where I'd be like, that's cool, I'm going to leave now. But, but listen to what they did. 
They believed so wholeheartedly in the gospel of Jesus that when they spoke it and people began to build a crowd around getting them out and throwing them out, that didn't cause them to want to leave. That caused them to want to stay even longer. So just be aware, every opportunity God gives you to bless the people around you, be aware, if if it's met with adversity, you've got an option. You can either take it and run, or you can realize that maybe God's doing something. Maybe God's going to do something greater in adversity. Maybe God's got an idea that's bigger than yours. What do I learn from that? Show patience. Show patience. Be careful. If you pray for patience, God answers that prayer by sending people your way who test your patience. Just so you know. And so people who, are, who you would describe as very patient, they don't have much of a temper, it's because God has sent a lot of people that have stretched their patience so much that now they're just able to endure. That's, that's patience. And, and isn't that what they did here? They, they went to a place and people obviously wanted them to leave. They didn't want to hear what they had to say. And yet God gave them the supernatural patience. There's no miraculous way. There's no miraculous way that for you and I to love the people around us. Sometimes it just takes hard work. It just takes patience. Lots of love. It takes a ton of prayer. You having a hard time showing patience towards someone? Do you know what the Bible says we ought to do? It gives us a complaint box. And and God's complaint box is prayer. And instead of criticizing or or finding a, a way to complain, instead we're supposed to go, God, and you're allowed. And this is the cool thing about God the Father, because He knows your thoughts anyway. You're allowed to tell God whatever you want. And, you can, and if that person really is a terrible person, did you know you can tell God that all you want? And that's meant to protect you from telling that person and hurting that person. Instead, it's meant to say, God, Father, change, either change that person or change my heart. Either change that person, that person wears me out, or God, change me. Give me a sense of patience. So that at the end of the day, we would look like these people. And even though we, we have adversity, even though sometimes there's obstacles, we would say, God, maybe you're doing something. Love and patience. Keys and, key ingredients. They were okay with being unwelcome, but then again, they were also okay to leave when it got dangerous. I don't know if you caught that. When, when the people finally picked a big fight, and when they finally got an idea to stone them, it says in verse 5, they figured it out. They found out about the, this, this, this plot against their lives, and it says that they left. But notice where they didn't go. Even though they left because their lives were in danger, they didn't go back to Antioch. They didn't go back home, did they? It says, apparently, in the next verse, verse 6, it says that they just went to the next city, Lystra, Derby, cities of Lyconia, and the surrounding countryside. So if there is adversity, you're finding a person that's hard to love, a person that if you told them about Jesus, they would think you're crazy, it's okay to move on. Don't stop praying for them and loving them. It's okay to move on, but don't go home. Move on to the next opportunity God means to give you and me. Pray for me. I want to pray for you that we would be persistent. If we're going to be a part of a movement like this, then we're going to have to be able to jump over some hurdles along the way, right? There's going to be some difficulties. There's going to be some things that cost us along the way. I think we see this in in that verse. In verse 9, the other thing we see is pay attention, listen, discern. Did you you catch what Paul did? Paul did something really awesome. He he went to this place, and, and when he saw this man who needed healing, and knowing that God had given him the power of healing, it says that he looked intently at him. 
And he apparently looked at him intently enough to see that this man had the faith to be made whole again. Here's what that says to me. Pay attention to the people around you. Um, One of the worst things, the most hurtful things, I I, I look back on my own life, we were in a a tough spot right after we got married, and uh, we were just really selfish, and, you know, Jesus saved our marriage, and it was awesome, but a couple years later, I found out that my neighbor uh, and a couple of the people around us they were sitting across this room together, and they kind of went through the same big transitions like we had, and um, some uh, neighbors in our apartment were sitting around the room, and they said, like, man, one of, one of the, this guy, his wife, began to cry, and she said, man, that first year that we were married, we were really struggling, and we didn't know if we were going to make it. And then this other person over here who lived right across an apartment complex across from us said, yeah, we were in the same boat. We, you know, we spent time sleeping on the couch, didn't, didn't know if we were going to stay together. And this other couple who lived next door to us, they're like, yeah, we, we didn't know if we were going to make it through that first year. And that told me a few things. First and foremost, we were really selfish. We had people that could encourage us all the way around us, and we just were so self-centered that we didn't do anything about it. The enemy usually deceives us to make you think you're the only one who's messed up. You're not. And we usually buy that lie. But the other thing I learned from it that was the most humbling, there were people who were hurting right around me that I could have loved, encouraged, and I was completely oblivious to it. I was so consumed with what was going on with us, so consumed with the things we were trying to accomplish, our own goals, that I completely missed that there were like people who just needed a simple act of love, a simple word of encouragement, anything. Shoot, I could have at least just prayed for them. Did I? No. No. So here's what this looks like. As, as God changes our hearts, we begin to pay attention to what God is doing around us. Keep your eyes open. You never know. Could be me, could be you, could be anyone you meet. Strangers, doesn't matter. Look intently because God could be at work and thank God that opened his eyes, he opened Paul's eyes to see. And Paul had an awareness that God wanted to move. This man was healed, power of God to heal him happened, but hopefully, if God is going to bring lives back close to him, if God is going to restore marriages, he's going to save relationships then I think maybe it's going to start with us paying attention to what God's doing. But lastly, I think, as you kind of summarize this whole thing, what's going on, if there's a way I can encourage you with this thing that goes on, it's this, this really jumped out at me. If you want to, you can read verse 22 with me. After verse 21, they'd preach the gospel, and many people, it says, made disciples. That's an important thing. Notice that the gospel preceded being a disciple, The gospel precedes the church, not the other way around. Just because you have your church doesn't necessarily mean the gospel is creating disciples. However, if if the gospel is going out and disciples are being made, the byproduct is a church. Make sure you understand that. That's important order of operations there, okay? The gospel goes out and the church is formed. Disciples are made as a result. But then in verse 22, it says that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples. Thank God for people that come along and strengthen us. It It says they were encouraging them to continue in the faith. And the way that he encouraged them is the way I want to encourage you. It says that he was saying to the people that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is actually a quote directly from Jesus. Jesus told several people that the kingdom sometimes suffers violence, and sometimes the kingdom advances through harsh and trying ways. And the 
context for Jesus saying that was that his best friend, really close friend John the Baptist, was in prison. And John the Baptist sent a message from prison to Jesus and said, hey Jesus, when are you going to establish your kingdom? And he, In fact, he says, are you the one that we've waited for or should we look for someone else? Which is an interesting thing because John was the guy who was running around telling everyone, hey, I know the one, his name's Jesus. And then when he's in prison because of the adversity, he goes to Jesus and he sends a messenger and he says, hey, are you the guy or should we look for someone else? And Jesus' response is probably the coldest of all things. He sees the doubt of John and all he says simply is this, the kingdom of God suffers violence. And sometimes the kingdom of God advances through adversity by force. Kind of a mysterious thing. But ultimately, you know what he didn't tell John? I'm going to bail you out of prison. And if you know the rest of the story, our friend John, who was a great prophet and predecessor of Jesus, has his head chopped off at the whim of the king's daughter. Now, sometimes God works and God does things, and sometimes it comes at great cost to us. Sometimes when God calls a thing into being, pain comes along with it. A few weeks ago, I said that this movement is this movement that God is bringing to life. I, I said that it's a lot like a, a, a growing movement of God is a lot like a pregnant woman. That we want to be like that because when a woman walks into a room and she's about to have a baby, no one looks her in the eye, and all of a sudden she has no identity. Instead, her identity is wrapped up in the new life that she's bringing into the world. Right? No one asks, "Hey, how?" You know, think about the, the pe- things people ask a pregnant child or a, a pregnant lady, right? Well, here's the other side of that. As God brings new things to life, I'm sorry, because my friend in here is really close to this happening. It comes with great pain. It comes with great pain. But here's what I know about God. God, more than anyone else, more than any other story I can tell you, has a way of taking things that are awful, broken, painful, and busted, and making something beautiful and new out of it. Who would have thought my beautiful little girls would have came from like hours of pain in the hospital? I wouldn't have designed that, right? If you let me hey, invent this, make this one. This is, this is how childbirth is going to work. This is how you mail in, a, you send in a postcard, and the baby comes, and a stork drops it off your house. I like that one. That's cool, right? There's no epidurals involved in that one. No big needles, you know what I'm saying? But isn't it just like God to take things that are broken, things that are painful, and make something beautiful out of them? And here's where I want to encourage you with that. Like ugly duckling. Ugly duckling, absolutely. Except he becomes something new, not just clean. Check this out. I've never lost a parent. I've never lost a sibling. I've never lost a spouse. I've never lost a child. We've never had a miscarriage. I've never gotten a bad report from a doctor. I've never had a bad prognosis. I've never been foreclosed on by the bank. But you know what? You have. You've experienced some of those things. 
And the amazing thing about this good news is that God can use and will use that struggle, that hardship, that loss, that brokenness that God has given you, meant to bless the people around you, and he can use it to make something more beautiful than you and I could have ever come up with on our own. And that's the good news. That's the good news that God wanting to make something beautiful out of your life and mine, wanting to give us a new chance, wanting to give us a new hope, decided that he would rather die on a cross, that he would rather die and be betrayed by his friends, he would rather be beaten in public and stripped naked in front of everyone than to leave you and me alone. So that something ugly and awful like a cross could be made something beautiful by your life and mine. That's incredibly good news. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this. We thank you that, uh, that ultimately this is not of us, but this is of you. Um, we could never save ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. In fact, sometimes when we try to fix our own messes, we just make bigger messes. God, when I try to, try to come up with quick fixes, I just end up in more trouble. And God, I thank you for that reminder that ultimately that's a sign that you're the only one who can heal. You're the only one who can fix things. If there's some in this room, maybe they've never heard that. Maybe they're still struggling and wondering, man, what's this mess? What, 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 why am I here? What is this life about? Would you begin right now to encourage them in a spiritual and supernatural way? Would you be, begin to fill them with confidence and fill them with courage and they would know that they're not here by accident, but instead that, God, you have brought them here so that you can save them, redeem them, set them on the right track, adopt them, into your family. God, we need new life. Our old life, we just keep messing up. And so we confess that to you and we pray that through Jesus we would be like this man who he wasn't able to walk, but God, through the power of Jesus, he was healed. Give us the faith that can change our lives and transform our hearts. But God, for those of us who know that, maybe, maybe we know this good news and this, this good news has given us new life. Well, help us Help us to have these things that begin a movement. Help us to, to speak in such a way that people would hear and want to follow and believe in this Jesus. Help us to love the people around us and show patience, even, even when it feels like we should move on. Help us to show patience and help us to have perseverance, knowing that ultimately you're going to get the victory. Help us to look intently at the people around us. Help us to not miss opportunities to let the gospel take life in our own midst and Help us not to miss opportunities to encourage and pass on this love of Jesus that passes all the kinds of things that we could understand but ultimately gives us greater joy than we could ever find. And lastly, whatever we've endured, whatever we lived through, help us to begin to see that, that ultimately it's for your glory. And you, more than any of us, have the power to take even the things that the enemy meant for, for, for evil, the things in our lives that the enemy has meant to destroy and to break into pieces. And you, more than anyone else, have the power to take that which the enemy means to use to destroy us and turn it into something that gives us new life. May today be the day for many of us that we begin to see new life. Not that the pain goes away, but ultimately this new life and this new joy replaces it. We ask you for this, and we can only ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.